<laughs> it'll be like it'll be awesome if if every time I lecture at school it'd be like that. Yeah, <laughs> Dr. Lee. <laughs> I don't, I don't really know what, what's going to happen when I go back because, like, I'm going to expect this and I'm going like, to miss it. <laughs> but, like, oh, these are just grad students. They're like, yay. <laughs> yay, more work. <laughs> um, let, me, uh, let me try to clarify a little bit, a couple points, because I'm trying to wrap up. And, you know, I want you to know, <laughs> because you stayed, God definitely will count this as, as something you did, and it'll be on your resume, and God will give you extra blessing. <laughs> definitely. Extra, extra blessing for all of you. Um, let me see here. A couple of things. A couple of clarifications, okay? Um, okay. <laughs> about, about quiet time fast. So remember, I, so if you were here for the whole retreat, at the first, uh, first uh, session, I said, you know, we, I said I recommended like a quiet time fast for, for people who are like, for these students who are like exhausted. Not, not that they were even doing it regularly, right? Like, but one of them like got scared after a couple of days. And I was like, that's weird. Why would you get scared? Because he thought that quiet time was a way in which like, he had to make God happy, otherwise God would get him or something like that. And I was like, that's weird. Like, that's not what this is, right? And the, and the other student's like, oh, I'm done. I'll never do it. <laughs> Ever. I was like, oh, you don't, you don't, if you don't have to spend time with God, you'll never spend time with God. I was like, that's weird. What should have happened is that maybe after a couple of days, you're like, maybe, maybe you feel like it's nice or whatever, because you can sleep and whatever. But after a couple of days... You shouldn't miss God. When you fast, you get hungry, right? That's what the point was. So if you're like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to get back. And that's basically what sabbatical is, or that's basically what Sabbath is supposed to be for, like, ministry people. They take a little sabbatical. They rest for a couple or whatever. And they're like, I can't wait to go back into ministry because I'm refreshed now, right? But, you know, you don't fast forever because then, <laughs> then you die, right? You starve to death. So that's what should have happened. They should have been like, oh, I hunger for God. And you can do this thing if you feel like, hey, sometimes, you know, some kind of spiritual practice gets you tired. Like, hey, take a little break. And you should, maybe there's another way of connecting with God. The point is connecting with God, right? Um, and also about last night, you know, I was talking about all the different identities. Like, there, we have all kind of different identities, right? And it's not like one's more important than another. I think in certain situations certain part of you will stick out. But, you know, like, if I'm there, if I go back to SoCal, to 6 to 6, the St. Gary Valley, which is like 70% like Asian American, the Asian American stuff doesn't stick out. Like, it just like disappears, right? It's, it's, that's not what sticks out. Like, I, I always tell the story about my kids. So my kids go to a Temple City School District, which is like 70, 80% Asian American. And 50% of teachers are Asian American. So when, you know, when my daughter was like, I'm going to run for, like, student government. I'm going to run for president. And I was thinking back to, like, my childhood, like, where I was, like, one of, like, how many Asian Americans. I was like, <laughs> my wife and I were like, are you sure you want to run for president? 
because I, I want to get ready, you know, help her with this appointment, right? And so I was like, maybe you should run for like treasure or something, just something small, right? She ran as a Korean American girl with this other Chinese American girl with this other Chinese American girl, and she won. So the, the Asian American thing that we were worried about, because that's how we grew up, was like invisible. It wasn't even a factor. But I was telling them, I'm like, <laughs> Annabelle, like, you live in fairyland. This is not what the rest of the world looks like. So if you go to other parts of the country, it might not be that diverse. But in certain places, that's not what sex at all, right? It's like a different element. So I think when I was talking about God being colorblind, it's not so much the fact that God sees color necessarily, but God sees everything else. I think it's a clarification, right? And you'll see the fact that certain elements come out in different parts. Some elements disappear altogether, right? Just a clarification. Also, uh, somebody was asking me about this. Uh, you know, you know I was, yesterday I gave an analogy of the fact that um, sometimes you're like hanging off for dear life to God. And you realize that's not what's sustaining you. Like, even if you let go... God's holding you. And if you, if you rock climb, <laughs> if you rock climb and you do like top roping with the little rope and you get the harness, um, you learn after a while that if you, if you don't trust it and you hang off for dear life in the wall, you just burn out and you can't climb. You have to trust the fact that the rope will hold you. It's like that. Grace is like that. Grace will hold you. I think a lot of people, like, people feel like, well, I know I'm saved by grace, but... Just in case, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do my part. Do your part. That's not gonna hold you. If you don't do anything, God will hold you. So when you do something, it's for a different reason, right? I'm gonna show you two verses. Uh, Ephesians one four and six. It talks about the fact that God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence before the creation of the world. God destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. This was according to his good, goodwill and plan. Before the creation of the world, this is actually a lot of times where, where the idea of predestination comes from. And you should know that the idea of predestination wasn't like God randomly choosing people. It's the fact that I'm with you. Whatever persecution, whatever, whatever um, doubts you might have, I have you. Right? I have you. And that's actually why we can be like, hey, I can ask different questions. I can have doubts. And God will walk us through. And also, there's a period in my life where <laughs> I didn't believe in anything. I just believed in this one verse. I was like, I don't even know what I believe in. Because, you know, when you sometimes, because I was thinking to myself, like, am I a Christian because I just grew up as a Christian? What if I grew up in, like, a Buddhist home? Or if I grew up in a Muslim home, am I going to be Buddhist and Muslim? Like, what's the point, Right? So when I was growing up in, in, like, in, like, um, um, in high school, they came to a point where I was like, what does it mean for me? How do I own this for myself? Not because I grew up with it, but I believe in it. Because I'm going to put my whole life on this thing, like just 110%. But if I'm going to do that, it can't just be like I just grew up as one. And so I had this whole period of doubt. But and at the time, I believed in one verse and nothing else. I believe in the fact that I'm sure of this, that the one who started the good work in you will stay with you to complete the job by the day of Jesus Christ. The fact that God has you. God's completed, started something, and God will complete it. God will complete it. Right? 
And so sometimes you're like, I have a lot of doubt. I don't know what I'm going through, but something, some kind of a funk. God's going to bring it through. So keep on talking to God. And, you know, find some way of connecting with God if that happens. All right. Given that, I'm going to try to kind of connect different elements. Because when, when, we, when I teach about grace, people say, well, where does obedience come in? Where does commitment come in? Where does sacrificial love come in? Where does that all come in? You know, where does, like, difficulty in obeying Christ, where does that come in? Because it's all there. It's incredibly important. Where does it come in? Are you saying, if I don't enjoy it, I don't do it? Right? Are you saying the fact that we just sin no matter what and God loves us and that's all good? Well, let me explain to you how these pieces work. Because they all work, but they don't work in the way that I think I grew up with thinking about it. Right? First, sin which is what I said, if you, if you were at the Q&A, <laughs> I said this, sin is its own, its own punishment. God does not have to punish you for sin. Sin punishes itself. That's why it's the path to destruction. God forgives you of sin, but it's like, but it's going to destroy, if you keep on doing it, it's going to destroy you. Right? I mean, if you take opioids, that's its own, its own punishment. God doesn't have to punish you for that. It'll destroy your life. You see it. You're like, oh, my gosh, that is terrible. Right? Do you say, oh, God's going to get me? God doesn't have to get you because it itself destroys your life. Right? I mean, if you sleep around, you're going to destroy your heart. Does God have to punish you somehow? No. It does it already. That's why God says don't do it. Right? Whenever you have sex with somebody, it actually, you give so much of yourself away. That's why God's like, it's so good. It's so powerful that there's something about a marriage that makes it secure that you can enjoy it. That's why God's like, oh, don't do it. Right? And if you do, God's forgiven you. God can bring healing. But it's because sin is destructive, that's why you don't do it. Right? I think people think, oh, my God, but is God going to get me or not? God doesn't have to get you. It, it, it'll destroy itself. That's why God's like, look, it's not about forgiveness or whatnot because that's important too and God will take away the shame. But that's basically why sin, sin is bad, right? I think some people think like this. Some people think like, <laughs> some people think, you know, God, God's very particular. So God just wants things in a certain way. God likes to line up. You know, God's like, you know, animals in a particular way. It's like, it's like a little kid. Like, I want things lined up in a particular way. I like my notebook here. I mean, some of you are like this. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're a bit OCD or <laughs> maybe you're, you know, like, when I study, I want everything to be perfect. This is how I am. I think some people think God's like that. And that's basically why God wants us to obey. I just, I just want the world the way I want it. So I want all you to obey. That's not the point. God's like, this is life I'm trying to give you, right? So it's really important to understand that, that sin is a way of destruction and it's its own punishment. Uh, secondly, God is always for you, right? God is always for you. God is always for you and your life. You and I are not always for ourselves. 
So sometimes I go in the wrong direction. And it seems like God's opposed to me because God's for me. Does that make sense? Like God's for my life, but I'm not for myself. So it seems like God's against me. But it's because God's for me. God's never not for you. God's always for you. In Jesus Christ, God's always for you. But are you for yourself? Are you for yourself? That's basically what we're talking about. Um, <clears throat> now, when we think about um, when we think about Christian life, I think what we're thinking about it is this: that in sin, as we're sinners, we we had an orf- we have, we were orphans in a sense, right? There are all these stories about how when, when you're an orphan, it's stories about orphanages, right? Um, where uh, in orphanages, this is like studies in like Eastern, Eastern Europe when they had orphanages, where kids after a while, they don't cry. Like even little kids. Like, like six months old, they don't cry. You know, and some of your parents might be like, it's nice they don't cry. You know why they don't cry? Because nobody comes. Like something breaks. Because babies are supposed to cry, and it's, it's, it's an instinct. It's like, I need help. I'm hungry. Change me. And you cry. But in orphanages, babies don't cry. Like it broke. Like nobody comes. So they just sit there. You know, you know, uh, who, was, who was the brother who was being worshipped, like talking about babies? You know, um, babies doing this, it's, it's an instinct. Some, when you see a baby uh, sleeping, they'll, they'll be shocked. They'll be like, they'll go like this. Because they know somebody's going to hold me. Right? And it's really interesting. Like, uh, uh, when, when, you know, my daughter's like, they'll be sleeping and then they'll have like a, something will jolt. And they'll, they'll go like this. I need help. And somebody will be there to hold me. Orphans don't do that. There is no help. How do I take care of myself? Me. There's nobody there. So they talk about like the fact that um, when you adopt an orphan, um, so, some of the kids, um, like there's, I have a lot of stories like this where they will... Um, <laughs> in a funny way, they're like squirrels. They'll, they'll take all the food and they'll, and they'll store it somewhere. Why do they do that? Because they were starving back then. And they'll randomly find themselves where they stored random food in like a closet. Right? I might be hungry. I might be hungry and I might, I might need food. And, and, and the adopted parents are like, what are you doing? The whole refrain, that's all yours. Everything you have is yours. This is all, everything we have is yours. The refrigerator, that's all yours. Why are you hiding stuff away? Why are you hiding stuff away? We can live like an orphan even though we're adopted by God. 
You're a daughter? Precious daughter, God delights in? You're God's son? Why are you storing food away? Why do you live as though like nobody's there to help you? Now, I'll tell you right now. So I see this guy, the spiritual director. He's like a spiritual coach, and I've been seeing him for like once a month for like 12 years. You know, when I started like uh, working at seminary, I was like, man, I, I feel like the job is too big for me. I need to figure out if I can really be the kind of person I need to be. So I started meeting with him. A lot of times I'll be like sharing with them, this is what's happening in my career, this is what's happening in my life. <laughs> and a lot of times he'll say, uh, uh, Steve is what his name, he's like an old vineyard pastor and now he, this is what he does for a living. But he goes, um, hey uh, Daniel, like, have you told God that? And I was like, oh, there's a God. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes I, and I tell myself, oh my gosh, I'm living like a pagan. I'm living like an orphan. Like, worry about this thing? And, and you're like, and he, he just always says, have you told God that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a seminary professor. I believe in God. <laughs> like, it's so as though, like, I have totally forgotten the fact that God exists. And I'm like, oh, yes, of course. I got, I'm going to He's like, well, what you just said, tell God that. Pray not as you should, but just as you are right now. In all your doubts and everything else, pray. I mean, and I, I think after like 10 years of this, I'm like, I'm getting used to it now. I'm like, oh, yes, I know what you're going to say. Have you told God that? Because I realize it's, it's so easy to forget. You're in the midst of this thing, you're like, and you freak out. You freak out, and then you're going to do dumb things because you're freaking out. Like, because you, you're, you're an orphan. Like, what do I do? Take care of myself. Who's going to take care of me? Nobody. And I freak out. Is that who you are? That's not who you are. No. You're God's beloved daughter. You're not an orphan. Why would you act like this? But you're storing stuff away. God's like, everything's yours. No. No, I'm going to starve. This orphan mentality is incredibly hard to break through. It's with you, right? And so God's, that's basically why God, I just talk about God's face is shining upon you. You're not an orphan. You're not an orphan. Stop acting like this. You're good. You're good. This is how God changes us. And you're like, how does grace work? It does nothing. I'm like, no. Because we're stuck here. We keep on thinking like we're orphans. And God's like, no, you're not. You're not an orphan. I'm with you. You cry, I'm listening right away. I, I even anticipate your needs before you even think about it. And orphan mentality is not going to change because God's going to make you do certain things. That's basically why legalism doesn't really work. Right? God can be like, whip you up and be like, hey, don't do this, don't do that. But, you know, is it going to warm my heart to make sure that I trust in God again? That I know how to cry? <laughs> that I know everything that I in the house is mine? No. Like, I want to make sure that, that, that this new father is happy, but I want to take care of myself. God's like, no, you're not an orphan. You're not. You find yourself living like an orphan, and I, you will find yourself like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> And this is basically where you have to hear the gospel again. Like, hey, 
And, 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 and you will be at, at fellowship meeting, and you'll be a large group, and you'll be at court, and they'll be like, once again, people imagine you, hey, you're not an orphan. You don't have to live like this. Right? Why? Because living like that is, <laughs> is going to destroy your life. That's why God says don't do this. It's not like because God is wanting to. No, he's, God's for you. Now, as you know, the greatest commandment is serve the Lord with all your, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, right? You got to serve the Lord with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength and mind to serve the Lord, right? Right? No. That's not the greatest commandment. What did I say? I said serve, right? Is that what it says? No. Now, now why? Why does God command us to love? And also it's love, not serve. Right? Well, let me explain something about how this works. We think about, and this whole point about love is a verb and stuff like that, we think love is like this. Love is like mere emotionalism, right? So, hey, it's not just love, but you must obey because that's the proof of love. This is actually how we're thinking about it often. This might see why people make such a big point about love is a verb. I think they have a point. I think they have a point. But there's a different way of thinking about it. So if you're the younger son, this makes sense, right? Oh, you, you know. But what if you're the older son? You can think of it this way. Obedience can be mere impersonal compliance or obligation. obligation. What's even harder might be love. The all-consuming covenant of affection. Like I, I not only obey, but I love obeying. Love can be the higher calling. Not like I love, you, you love God, but you obey. I'm like, you obey, but you love God. That could be a problem too. That's basically what this whole retreat was all about. The fact that this actually happens on a regular basis. Right? People are doing stuff at church. But they're still orphans. Or they're doing their thing. Right? They don't trust God. It's distrustful obedience. It's not really loving. No love in the obedience. But once again, why does God command us to love? I thought this was all about, man, God, I thought it was all about grace. But God be saying I gotta do stuff. Well, I'm gonna have my new best friend, Kevin, come and help me out. All right, Kevin, come up. Right, just stand right there, okay? Stand right, there, right there. So, God loves us and delights in us no matter what. That's just, it's just, God's like, it's like, it's just like sunshine, right? It just comes. So God's like, I just love you so much. Oh, my gosh. You're just my kid, right? <laughs> Kevin, I just love you, <laughs> right? Oh, baby, I'm going to take care of you, birdie, right? 
Like, now, did, is Kevin enjoying the benefits of my love? Is, is Kevin enjoying the benefits? I mean, to some degree, right? I'm going to warm him up like, hey, Kevin, like, I'm going to warm this guy, right? But is he reading the full enjoyment of this hug? How do you receive a hug? <laughs> how do you receive love? I'm not hugging that. So this is how you... Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> all right, all right. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Give it up for Kevin. Why does God command us to love? Because that's how you receive God's love. How do you receive God's love? How do you receive love? You love back. How do you receive a hug? You hug back. How do you receive a kiss? You kiss back. I'm not going to kiss Kevin. <laughs> but that's basically why God's like, oh, do this. Do this. I don't need love. I, I can get love anywhere else. God's like, but this is for you. This is basically what this looks like. There is a point to this, right? This is how you receive God's love. God's love is there, but a lot of people, because they're not loving God back, they don't enjoy the benefits of that love. Right? So you can be like, oh, it's all about grace. I'm going to do whatever. I'm like, you're not going to enjoy any of the benefits of this love shining upon you. Let me talk about Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, this is the point that a lot of people miss. Um, ten Commandments, people misunderstand where the Ten Commandments come from. Uh, when you read the book of Exodus, remember we talk about, talk about the whole like tree, forest, and whatever, right? Well, if you look at the whole book, the tree of Exodus, um, Exodus is divided into three major parts, okay? First is salvation. They're oppressed into Egypt, and God saves them, right? And then it's the law, I'll give them the law. And then last part is worship. What's weird is the order. Right? Because you would think God gives the law, you better obey. And then you worship really good. And then salvation comes. Salvation comes first. Why did God save the, save the Israelites out of, out of Egypt? They didn't even know God. God shows up and says, oh, I'm the one who's going to save you. <laughs> right? They get saved first. Why? Because God's good. And then God says, I want you to live in freedom so the law comes. And I want you to enjoy being close with me so the worship comes. That's why if you read the Ten Commandments, if you, if you, you know, you write this down, right? Exodus 20, 1 to 2. If you read, that's called a prologue. The prologue of the Ten Commandments, and I'll read it. It says, the Lord spoke these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I saved you already. Why? Because I'm good. And I love you. So, live in freedom, not in bondage. Here are the commandments. The commandments are there so that they don't live in bondage again. Right? It's not to make God pleased. 
Because God's like, it, that's, regardless of that, I, I already saved you because I just am good God and I love you. But you can continue to live in bondage because you know what? Bondage can be in you, right? You can still live in bondage. You can still live like an orphan. You are the orphanage, but you still live like an orphan. God's like, don't do that. You now live like a son, son and daughter. This is basically what the commandments are, right? We think it's to make God, you know, be pleased. I'm like, no, that's, it's you, you, for you to enjoy, the, uh, enjoy that love, right? That's what the commandments are about. So a lot of people miss this prologue, and they think, well, this is basically what, this is how we make God happy. I'm like, no, this is how we enjoy the freedom and the life that we have in God. In this sense, commitment, uh, uh, discipline, and sacrifice, all this, right? If you, these values can be helpful, right? They can be helpful if you understand what it means to love God. But if you're the older brother, these values will kill you. They'll kill you. Because you, you, you already don't know God. You don't trust God. Now you'll just be, you'll do it better. you slave away for God better. Right? People talk about accountability. Um, I think accountability is great if you, if you, if the people who are keeping you accountable helps you because you already seek and enjoy God. Right? If, if somebody's keeping you accountable to come to like large group, and you come to large group like, you're like, man, I'm, Thank you so much for keeping me accountable, for me to come. I, I love this. And I know sometimes I get, like, kind of anxious about coming because I, you know, um, because most of the time I just play video games and I don't like people. <laughs> but when I come, I enjoy it. Then accountability works. But if accountability is they, they can help you come and you're sitting there, you're like, yeah, just, you know, I, I'm glad I came because now... I, I guess gotta be. I I, I did what I, what I needed to do to make God happy. Then it doesn't work. Then you you just making that person be like an elder son. Distress for obedience, right? There, the obedience is external works there, but there's nothing inside. These things, commitment, discipline, and sacrifice for those kind of people, I would say, hold up, hold up, just take a break. Just maybe we, there's a different way of doing this thing because for you. You associate this with trying to make God happy. And I'm like, you're not understanding what this is. But if you understand, if you understand what love is, if you understand that I, I get the love of God, then these things will help you. They will help you because you're trying to seek after God. And you know what it is to hug God back. And it's a way of making sure that you can consistently live as sons and daughters, not as orphans. So this is where people get confused. They think, oh, no matter what, this is more what, what, what Christians need. I'm like, well, you have to be careful. Because <laughs> if you're a Pharisee, you get more of this stuff, you'll become, you become a better Pharisee. And what, you, you haven't made progress. You, it's, it's gotten worse. It, you look better. <laughs> like you know more Bible verses, but you know more Bible verses and you're running away from God. And this is what a lot of churches don't think about. So that's basically why when you know these things, you're like, you're careful when you're trying to disciple people. When you're a staff, you're like, hey, like you're very committed, but like, do you, like you, don't, you don't look like there's joy. There's no love flowing out. I'm like, hey, maybe you should take a break with, with service. Because uh, 
maybe we should just we, we should spend time thinking about your view of God and, and how you know maybe your your family background and what's happening because because really it's not what you do. Fundamentally, God is not after your service. God is not after your money. God is not after your obedience. God is not after your after your time. God doesn't care about any of stuff. God wants you. God wants you. And because when God gets that, that everything comes. But if this God doesn't get you, you can give God all these different things, but you're like, yeah, God, just give God what God wants, you gotta leave me alone. God's like, I, I, I don't even want this. Like, I, I want you. I, I don't want you to live like an orphan. I, I want you to come home. That, that's what I want. And then everything makes sense. Right? Everything makes sense. People, like, you know, sometimes, like, I think they get anxious. They're like, oh, my gosh, are you being an I'm like, that's not the biggest thing. Um, there's a, a story about uh, this guy named, I think it, it's a movie as well, right? Um, it turns out it's a true story. This guy, this guy, um, even up to high, high school years and afterwards, he would suck his thumb. I think the movie is called The Thumb, the thumb, thumb Sucker. And he would say, like he'd, be like, he'd be like at a high school dance, and he would be looking at him, and then he would look down, and he'd be sucking his thumb. Like, he didn't know he was doing it. He would automatically do it, right? He's like, this is so embarrassing. I can't stop. I don't even know when I do it. I just find myself, and I'm like, <laughs> right? What's happening? He said later on, he's like, I, I, what I... What I really try to do is really work hard, so I, I took up gambling, right? And, and then I started smoking. So I don't suck my thumb, but I gamble and smoke. And he's like, this is so destructive. Man, I'm not even just go back to sucking my thumb at this point. Some of us, I think it's very easy for us to think about like the fact that, like, I don't, when I do ministry, I don't worry about the expression of sin. Some people are like, they're just like working hard, but there's an emptiness. So they, they're just terrified and they study. And I'm like, hey, studying is good, but there's something here that's being expressed. There's, there's a, something, something that's happening in your heart. And there are other people, because of their heart, there, like this pornography, right? The other people, because of the emptiness of the heart, ah, they they have they have serial girlfriends, <laughs> like multiple, right? Because you could go from one to another, right? Like oh, another one, another one, right? Now, I when I do this ministry, I don't worry about the external much stuff as much as the internal. Because this is the expression of what's happening on the inside. Maybe you don't do that. Maybe you don't do pornography anymore, but now, you, now you're the, the video games. Well, video games is not that bad, you would think, but the emptiness is still there. And of course, some things you do is more destructive than others, obviously, right? But I'm like, God's after like, hey, I want to make sure I see what's happening inside of you. What's happening inside? There are different expressions of sin and, you know, waywardness. And some are very pretty. But God's like, what's happening inside the heart? I want to address that. 
Commitment, discipline, and sacrifice, when you understand what it means to love, that God shines God's love upon you and you love God, then you can hug back and be like, I want to consistently live as your son and daughter. I want to consist, consistently love God back. I want to consistently love in that, live in that freedom. And this basically why these commands are there for me. I don't have to. God's like, it's not, it's not because you do it because you make, make me happy. You do it because I want to live in freedom and not in bondage. All right? Now, this is a road to, um, uh, this is Highway 81. When I uh, started working, I, uh, I studied engineering when I was in college. And then after that, I worked as an engineer. And then I started doing campus ministry like, this, like a part-time thing. So I would drive down to James Madison from Northern Virginia, like two-hour drive every, every weekend I would go. And I'd be driving. And what I realized is that, like, when you, when you start loving God and you start enjoying the love of God, you also love the things of God. You also love the people that God loves. You spend that much time with God and you, your heart grows and you... And God shares their heart with you, right? Like these are the people that God loves. And you, and you look at them and you just love them because God loves them. And God loves them through you. And so I would drive. And I remember like driving one time and I was like, <clears throat> and, and I was trying to figure out what to do with my life because I'm working as an engineer. But I was like, ah, I just, you know. And, you know, it's, it's, it's good money. It's, it's good career. A lot of people, because um, <laughs> as an engineer, we just always say like, hey, we're not like in, we're like in school of engineering, not these uh, school of arts and, arts and, arts and crafts. <laughs> I don't know, learning basket weaving. What are they going to do with their lives afterwards? <laughs> there was like my condescension, because engineers suffer so much. If, you're, if you do technical stuff, you know it's so much work. And all my friends who were like social majors, psych majors, I don't know, they, they did nothing. They just played. <laughs> and they crammed last minute, like, you know, and that, that's it. Like, I'm like, really, every problem set would take me like 10 hours. Like, you know, and the, half the people would fail anyways. Like, oh, my God, read out classes. Like, half the people failed my, like, uh, electrical science. Like, physics 3 with non-Newtonian physics, quantum physics. Like, I think I got a 40 in one test, and it was... If you know, it, it, it was a B. Like out of 100, it was 40, it was a B, right? And that's how it is. Like it's how engineering, that's why we're like, oh my gosh, engineering, we're suffering now, but all you basket weavers, you know, you won't get a job. I will have a job. Well, I had that job. I had that job. And I said, as I would spend time with God, and as I was sitting there interacting and kind of sharing God's love, I said, man, I want more. I want more. People are like, but don't you want money? I'm like, I mean, my wife and I, we, you know, because she was an actuarial consultant. If you know what that is, actuarial consultant, it's actually like, it's a really weird, weird job. They do like, they have this thing called death tables. They do probability of like how much money uh, companies should put away in case people die, like for insurance, right? So they, it's all math. They like study math forever. But it's a very good job, right? She did that. 
And both of us are like, oh, good job and good money. It's good, right? It's great. But really, both of us were like, when you see the heart of God and you get to do this and share God, God's heart for people, no, nothing compares. Nothing compares. I love this stuff. I, you, you can't pay me more to do something else. So I was driving and I realized God was like, hey, you know, um, I was like, what should I do? You know, maybe should I keep on working as an engineer? And, uh, and I was like, should I be a full-time uh, ministry person? And, and, you know, God was kind of whispering and saying, because as often God does, God's like, well, I mean, just to let you know, there's no, there's no half-time Christian. So no matter what you do, you're full-time. Right? Maybe you're going to do apprenticeship and you learn what that is, which is, I think, an amazing opportunity. Man, I read some of that. That would have been amazing. But maybe you're going to go and do business. That's fine. Do 100% discipleship for God. I was like, if I'm, do, if not, if I'm not going to do campus ministry, I want to make more money. Because you know what money can do to support people? I'm going to support all my friends who do ministry. Think, <laughs> you, get, you get money, you get money. I support you, I support you. You all be set. That's what my friend did. My friend Peter, he stayed as, both of us would, you know, love God. We spent a lot of time. And he stayed as an engineer. And he gave me 500 bucks every month for me to be staff. Because I had so little, I, all of us were so poor. And he was like, I will support you. For like three, three years, this is what he did. Because he said, I am doing this, you are doing that, we are partnering. Because I still am 100% in God's kingdom, even though I'm working. Right? When you love God and you start embracing God, love, you know, love God back, enjoying that love, you love the things of God. And I realized, oh, this drive became a place, well, this drive became a place where I start like, not liking it. I was like, no. God's doing something over there. And I quit my engineering job, and I told my mom, I was like, mom, because she's been, my mom's like a spiritual mentor for me, right? So I told my mom, I, um, I'm going to quit my job and uh, move down and be a campus ministry person. And, uh, and I, I told some of my friends this, and they're like, <laughs> one pastor's like, don't do it. There's like nothing out there. Like Harrisonburg is like in the middle of nowhere. Why would I always do that? And I was like, dude, you're a pastor. Come on. And my mom, when she heard this, she wept. And she said, I know I, I have like taught you to follow God. But she realized it took a lot for her to trust it as well. Remember I told you, like, I am her retirement. Right? Uh, it, it, it was a, a huge sacrifice, not for me, but for her. But she said, I bless you. I bless you. Now, thank God my younger brother makes crap load of money. <laughs> so, <laughs> got to provide somehow, right? 
And I knew that they, what they were doing, my mom and my, my sister and my brother, how they were supporting my parents, that was important because that's the partnership we had, right? But, man, just I remember her crying being like, bless my son as he follows. And I knew it took so much for her to trust the fact that God will provide for her as well. And God did. God commands us to love God because this is how we receive the full extent of God's love. God's love is always there. A lot of people, God's love just shines upon and they, they enjoy so little of it. So little of it. They're still just living hard like orphans. And God's like, it's not like I don't love you more, but you don't enjoy any of the love that I'm giving you. You still live like an orphan, right? When something happens, you don't cry to anybody because you think nobody will come. God's already anticipating what you need. God's here. God's like, I want you to live in the full freedom. I want your life to flourish. That's basically what God's about. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the message, the good news. The good news of God, your grace, which is really just about you. You are the gracious God. You are the good news. You are, you are the blessing. You are what we want. In you, there's blessings evermore. In you, there's freedom. In you, our gracious and loving Father, there's what fills our hearts, our emptiness, our loneliness, that gives us purpose and meaning, and that gives us a family, that gives us a community, your family, your community. Show us, reveal to us the, the extravagance of your grace, that we may respond, that we may embrace back, and begin to live in that freedom, begin to live as your beloved sons and daughters, begin to not only uh, enjoy that love and freedom, but start loving the things that you love, people that you love, expanding our hearts and our minds and our world with what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.